Mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. She wasn't even the first speaker of the night. In planning for the 1976 Democratic National Convention, the party's chairman, Robert Strauss, thought it best not to have one, but two keynote speakers at Madison Square Garden. One would be an American icon, John Glenn of Ohio. The other would be an American original, Barbara Jordan of Texas. As it turned out, originality trumped iconography. John Glenn was a lovely, brave man, but nobody remembers a word he said in that bicentennial summer. Representative Jordan, however, emerged as the enduring voice of a changing nation. It was a moment rich in both symbolism and in substance. As Robert Strauss escorted Jordan to the podium on Monday, July 12, 1976, a band played deep in the heart of Texas. This is by far the biggest ovation anyone has received here in this opening session of the Democratic Convention. The first time the convention has really come alive on this first night from Barbara Jordan, Congresswoman from Texas. Democrat of Houston, Texas. At last, the audience settled in. And what they heard was the American creed rendered in prose poetry, intoned by a deep and beautiful, even haunting voice. A biblical voice. The voice of a woman. The voice of a black woman the voice of a Southerner from a previously segregated state, the voice of a nation seeking to do better in spite of itself. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. We are a people in search of a national community. We are a people trying not only to solve the problems of the present, unemployment, inflation, but we are attempting on a larger scale to fulfill the promise of America. We are attempting to fulfill our national purpose to create and sustain a society in which all of us are equal.
I'm John Meacham, and this is It Was Said, Episode 7, Barbara Jordan, Your Keynote Speaker. She became someone that Democrats generally looked up to, and I think a lot of people in the country looked up to. She knows that by virtue of the fact that she's the first black woman who was born in segregation, giving this speech, it's emblematic of what everyone is hoping is a new birth of American freedom. You know, the power of Barbara Jordan, this black woman giving voice to this idea of a robust understanding of our being together. To have her announce her faith in the Constitution when she could have done something different, (laughs) I think is enormously important to people. Another point I should like to make very briefly, like every member of the House and Senate assembled here tonight, I was elected to the office that I hold. And like every member of the House and Senate, when I was elected to that office, I knew that I was elected for the purpose of doing a job and doing it as well as I possibly can. And I want you to know that I have no intention whatever of ever walking away from the job that the people elected me to do for the people of the United States. Barbara Jordan had come to broad national attention in the impeachment summer of 1974. Richard Nixon was facing removal from office, and Jordan, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, spoke truth to power. She said, Earlier today we heard the beginning of the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. We, the people. It's a very eloquent beginning. But when that document was completed on the 17th of September in 1787, I was not included in that we the people. I felt somehow for many years that George Washington and Alexander Hamilton just left me out by mistake. But through the process of amendment, interpretation and court decision, I have finally been included in we the people. Today I am an inquisitor and hyperbole would not be fictional and would not overstate the solemnness that I feel right now. My faith in the Constitution is whole, it is complete, it is total. And I am not going to sit here and be an idle spectator to the diminution, the subversion, the destruction of the Constitution. Her journey to the podium at Madison Square Garden was rooted in distant Texas. Born in Houston in 1936 to a family of ministers and teachers, Barbara Charlene Jordan was shaped by her grandfather's teachings. As she recalled it, he drilled this lesson into her on Sunday evenings. Just remember the world is not a playground, but a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday, but an education. One eternal lesson for us all, to teach us how better we should love. The Christian-inspired principle led Jordan into politics. She became the first black person elected to the Texas State Senate since Reconstruction, and in 1972, was the first black Southern woman elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. 
there were so few African-Americans in Congress then compared to what we have now, certainly African-American women, that when she came to Congress, she was an immediate presence. This is the longtime political consultant and speechwriter, Robert Shrum. But then what she did on the impeachment hearings made her a star. And more than a star, it made her a very serious person, someone with a deeply penetrating intellect who could ask really tough and probative questions. She became someone that Democrats generally looked up to, and I think a lot of people in the country looked up to. As she recalled, her grandfather taught her that the message of Jesus is, don't get sidetracked and be like everybody else. Do what you're gonna do on the basis of your own ingenuity. He was also saying that you couldn't trust the world out there. You couldn't trust them, so you had to figure things out for yourself. But you had to love humanity, even if you couldn't trust it. That's what he said the message of Jesus is. She was a star, you know, her origins coming from Texas, a place that's very difficult and has been very difficult for black people, but has produced a lot of black leaders. This is the historian and professor Annette Gordon-Reed. I think it was important because at a time when it was pretty divisive, I mean, we think of today being a divisive time, but we always have those periods in American history to have her announce her faith in the Constitution of the United States when she could have done something different. (laughs) There could have been a different path to take, I think is enormously important to people. And she was right. She had the benefit of being right about what she was saying and bringing a great amount of moral clarity to that situation. It was thrilling. And Black people saw her as a role model, you know, someone of whom we were very, very proud. 75 million people were watching Jordan as she addressed the Democratic Convention in July of 76. Such gatherings are notoriously difficult for speakers. Delegates were hardly a rapt audience. In those days, they smoked and chatted, occasionally lending an ear to the podium. But Jordan was different. Thank you. Thank you. As she recalled, I looked up and people were not milling around. All milling stopped. Now really, the response was startling. And so were her words. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for a very warm reception. It was 144 years ago that members of the Democratic Party first met in convention to select a presidential candidate. Since that time, Democrats have continued to convene once every four years and draft a party platform and nominate a presidential candidate. And our meeting this week is a continuation of that tradition. But there is something different about tonight. There is something special about tonight. What is different? What is special? I, Barbara Jordan, am a keynote speaker. When Barbara Jordan gives the first keynote by an African-American at any major political party in 1976, 
The country is still trying to heal itself from the wounds of Watergate and the wounds of Vietnam, and really even the wounds of uh, the civil rights and Black power years. This is the author and professor of history at the University of Texas, Peniel Joseph. So in a lot of ways, it's a country seeking a new identity. And in a way, 1976 is so powerfully important because it's going to be the second centennial of the founding of the country. And Barbara Jordan's keynote in a lot of ways where she's talking about citizenship, she's talking about the party that believes in equality. She talks about governing in that speech. And she knows that by virtue of the fact that she's the first Black woman who was born in segregation in Houston, Texas, giving this speech, it's emblematic of what everyone is hoping is a new birth of American freedom in 1976. She's a state senator from Texas. She becomes a congresswoman, a three-term congresswoman from the state of Texas, among the first class of Black elected officials after Reconstruction. It really speaks to this idea of a new chapter in American democracy and the birth of a new American freedom that's reflected in a Democratic Party that is now fully embracing the tradition of the grand old party, which is the tradition of abolitionism, the tradition of anti-slavery. A lot of years passed since 1832, and during that time, it would have been most unusual for any national political party to ask a Barbara Jordan to deliver a keynote address. But tonight, here I am. And I feel, I feel that notwithstanding the past, that my presence here is one additional bit of evidence that the American dream need not forever be deferred. So when we think about 1976, Barbara Jordan's keynote is the end of the political realignment By 1976, certainly, the Democratic Party becomes the party of abolition, becomes the party of both Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, and Barbara Jordan's keynote is reflective of that. Now now that I have this grand distinction, what in the world am I supposed to say? I could easily spend this time praising the accomplishments of this party and attacking the Republicans, but I don't choose to do that. I could list the many problems which Americans have. I could list the problems which cause people to feel cynical, angry, frustrated. Problems which include lack of integrity in government, the feeling that the individual no longer counts, the reality of material and spiritual poverty, the feeling that the grand American experiment is failing or has failed. I could recite these problems and then I could sit down and offer no solutions. But I don't choose to do that either. The citizens of America expect more, deserve and they want more than a recital of problems. You know, I think the fabric of the country had been frayed. The trust in government was at an all-time low in some ways. This is the author and professor of African-American studies at Princeton University, Eddie Gloud. 
So there's a sense in which the country had faced a choice and was beginning to double down on, on a certain understanding of itself. And so there's this, you know, the powerful moments. Now we must look to the future, she said. Let us heed the voice of the people and recognize their common sense. Many fear the future. Many are distrustful of their leaders and believe that their voices are never heard. Many seek only to satisfy their private work wants, to satisfy their private interests. But this is the great danger America faces, that we will cease to be one nation and become instead a collection of interest groups, city against suburb, region against region, individual against individual, each seeking to satisfy private wants. If that happens, who then will speak for America? Who then will speak for the common good? This is the question which must be answered. A nation is formed by the willingness of each of us to share in the responsibility for upholding the common good. A government is invigorated when each one of us is willing to participate in shaping the future of this nation. In this election year, we must define the common good and begin again to shape a common future. Let each person do his or her part. If one citizen is unwilling to participate, all of us are going to suffer. For the American idea, though it is shared by all of us, is realized in each one of us. And, you know, that moment. But this is the great danger America faces, that we will cease to be one nation and become instead a collection of interest groups, city against suburb, region against region, individual against individual. My God, that sounds so relevant today. And she says, this is the question that must be answered. Who will speak for the common good? Who will speak for the common good? There is a sense that, you know, the power of Barbara Jordan, this black woman giving voice to this idea of a robust understanding of our being together. I think there's always something coming out of the region of the South, right? I mean, people talk about the heartland of America, but we know where the heartbeat is, you know? We got an intimate sense of the contradiction of the country. Only a dozen years before, such a moment, a Barbara Jordan keynoting a national convention, would have seemed impossible. In 1964, at Atlantic City, Lyndon Johnson and his party refused to recognize an integrated delegation from Mississippi for fear of driving the white South into the arms of Barry Goldwater. Perhaps the most memorable word spoken in that 1964 convention came not from the podium, but in a hearing room where Fannie Lou Hamer, a Mississippi civil rights activist, eloquently argued for her basic right to vote. And if the Freedom Democratic Party is not seated now, I question America. Is this America 
the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off of the hook because our lives be threatened daily because we want to live as decent human beings in America. Thank you. The party had not listened then. Now Barbara Jordan was center stage. First, we believe in equality for all and privileges for none. This is a belief This is a belief that each American, regardless of background, has equal standing in the public forum, all of us. Because because we believe this idea so firmly, we are an inclusive rather than an exclusive party. Let everybody come. We believe that the government which represents the authority of all the people, not just one interest group, but all the people, has an obligation to actively, underscore actively, seek to remove those obstacles which would block individual achievement, obstacles emanating from race, sex, economic condition. The government must remove them, seek to remove them. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People. On every episode of Fashion People, I'll be talking to insiders about the stuff we're all whispering between the press releases. From M&A rumors to celebrity stylist dish to the future of legacy media. Be sure to follow and listen to Fashion People, a presentation of Odyssey in partnership with Puck. Available on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. After the speech, Bob Strauss was exuberant. I told these sons of bitches she'd be the hit of the convention, he said in a skybox afterward. I told them. The Washington Star wrote, She was there to bear witness to a dream they yearned to claim, and the congregation responded with an amen chorus that would do credit to the second coming. The New York Times observed that Jordan's odyssey was the road to success that white men had traveled since the country was founded. And the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin exulted. 
Jimmy Carter, watching the Democrats' love fest on TV in his Americana hotel suite, could only feel lucky he won't have to follow Barbara Jordan's act for three days. Getting on the same podium with Miss Jordan is like trying to sing along with Marian Anderson. This is the question which must be answered in 1976. Are we to be one people bound together by common spirit, sharing in a common endeavor, or will we become a divided nation? For all of its uncertainty, we cannot flee the future. We must not become the new Puritans and reject our society. We must address and master the future together. It can be done if we restore the belief that we share a sense of national community, that we share a common national endeavor. It can be done. Let there be no illusions about the difficulty of forming this kind of a national community. It's tough, difficult, not easy, but a spirit of harmony will survive in America. Only if each of us remembers that we share a common destiny. There was a groundswell for Carter to name Jordan as his vice presidential running mate, but that nod went to Walter Mondale of Minnesota. Nevertheless, the Democrats had found something of their soul on that Monday evening. Even on the last night of the convention, as she stood with Carter and with Mondale to the sounds of the FDR standard, Happy Days Are Here Again, Jordan was greeted by cries, We want Barbara. We want Barbara. Barbara Jordan embodied a dream of America, a dream long deferred and deferred for too many, even now. But she and her words in 1976 remind us of what's possible in an America that lives up to the promise of its founding. In looking back on her rise, Jordan would remark, it seemed an impossibility to make any transition to the larger world out there. And yet she made that transition and in so doing, showed us the way. Now I began this speech by commenting to you on the uniqueness of a Barbara Jordan making a keynote address. Well, I am going to close my speech by quoting a Republican president. And I ask you that as you listen to these words of Abraham Lincoln, relate them to the concept of a national community in which every last one of us participates. As I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy. 
whatever differs from this to the extent of the difference is no democracy. On the next episode of It Was Said, in the tradition of Eleanor Roosevelt, Hillary Rodham Clinton travels to Beijing to argue that women's rights are human rights, setting new global priorities. Thank you for listening to It Was Said, a creation and production of C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13 in association with history. Executive produced by me, John Meacham, and Chris Corcoran. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Edited, produced, engineered, and mastered by Chris Basil. With production support and research by Bill Schultz and John McDermott. And research assistance by Ian Mont. Creative consultation by Eli Lehrer and Jesse Katz. Graphic design, marketing, and publicity by Josephina Francis. Kirk Courtney, and Hilary Schuff. Our theme song is I Can Almost See You by Hammock. And our closing credit song is Light by Michael Kiwanuka. We're miles apart, but safe from dreams. You're running far. Beyond the dark. We'll always be one of the road to They said it couldn't be done. They say it bordered on impossible. When someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them. (laughs) And now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners. We got listeners. No way. Amazing. Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so happy we're at Odyssey now. Oh my God, they're amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast. You heard it here last.